Welcome to Racket Fuel, where we launch into great conversations and share powerful tools to help you become a stronger rackets leader. Your hosts are Kim Bastable, a former All-American tennis player and now the Director of Tennis Management at the University of Florida, and Simon Gale, the USTA National Campus Director of Racket Sports. In this episode, we continue our discussion with Dr. Tim Elmore. Through his research, he shares how we can help everyone at any age work better together. Tim is a best-selling author with a new book addressing the diversity challenge of having as many as four generations in the same workplace, something we see a lot in the rackets industry. Now, here's Kim and Simon. Welcome back to Dr. Tim Elmore on Racket Fuel. We have Tim, who is the author of A New Kind of Diversity, back for a continued discussion on age diversity in the workplace. And if you missed our last episode, we encourage you to go back and listen to that because we discussed the research in Tim's book in detail. To remind listeners, Dr. Tim Elmore is a respected thought leader, researcher, and author on leadership. He's the CEO of Growing Leaders, a nonprofit created to develop emerging leaders. His curriculum is used by sports teams such as the Kansas City Royals from my hometown, the Buffalo Bills, the Tampa Bay Bucks, San Francisco Giants, Houston Rockets, Minnesota Vikings, as well as a dozen colleges and universities. And he was voted one of the top 100 leadership speakers in America by Inc. Magazine. Simon and I are so honored to have Tim to help us learn about leadership. So Tim, thank you for being here again. And please just tell listeners, you know, where can they find your book? Where can they find out about what you're doing and and more about your work? Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking, Kim. So the book can be found um, certainly on Amazon or wherever you get books, but there's a site you can go to to get a free assessment where you can assess your GQ, your generational quotient, we call it. I love that. Um, so you can take a 41-question test and you get a, a, a feedback, you get a, a report back, oh, you're good with Gen Z, but not so good with Xers or whatever. So the website is real simple. It's newdiversitybook.com, newdiversitybook.com. And there you'll find the free assessment and certainly you can get the book there as well. But um, yeah, we're, we're having a lot of fun just seeing old and young get together and find out, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn from each other. Yeah, I mean, we were opened up, um, our eyes were open to this challenge. I know, you know, when I saw, I'd read, read some of your other books and always been a fan, but then I saw this subject and, and just picked it up and thought, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really yeah. realize what, what, a cha- what, what this was. I guess I didn't really realize the problem, which you yeah. have pointed out well, and once you see it, it's, it's quite a large problem. So you, you mentioned that there's this generation gap that you first noticed in the 1960s. It's widened today. It's making collaboration and synergy more challenging than ever. So can you unpack this problem? Because, you know, for our listeners related to the rackets industry, we have typically the average age of a director of racket sports around 55, if not older, yeah. uh, you know, and, and we have entry-level tennis pros, you know, commonly in the 20s. So, so how do we tackle that? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge question you just asked and one that probably deserves two hours of response. Let me try to do it in two minutes here. Um, so uh, I was just with some NFL teams and I told two quick stories that I'll share right now that I think illustrate the dilemma that you have brought up. So um, there were two student athletes that are pictures of millions and millions of young athletes, whether it's tennis, football, baseball, basketball, you name it. So Quinn Ewers is a quarterback for Texas football, talented young athlete just a couple years ago in high school, 
he ended up adjusting his graduation year because he wanted to come out at just the right time. I'll explain that in just a minute. And then he committed to Texas at first because there was a great deal there, NIL deal. Uh, But then he got a better deal up in Columbus, Ohio at the Ohio State University. So he decommits from Texas, goes back up there or goes up there to Ohio State. But then C.J. Stroud is there, the quarterback for Ohio State, and he goes, oh, maybe it won't be as good as I thought. So he decommits, comes back down to Texas, and now he's and he's a wonderful athlete. This is not a cut down or insult to Quinn Ewers, great young athlete. But he illustrates something I want to I want to talk about in just a minute. And it's a high sense of agency that these young athletes have. And by agency, there's sense of audacity and moxie and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna sign a deal and I'm in charge. And it's almost like it's almost like as student athletes, they come with a free agent mindset. You know, ever heard of the portal? Anybody? So there's that. But then I want to talk about another student athlete. Many of us listening have heard about Katie Meyer. Katie led Stanford University to a national championship in soccer uh, in 2019, a fabulous young, just star athlete. But if you remember her story, um, this very happy student athlete on Instagram ended up completing suicide. It was just stunning. In fact, nobody saw it coming. Her parents didn't see it coming. Her teammates didn't see it coming. That's what's scary because, you know, you're around him. You go, oh, I see she's depressed or anxious or something. But her parents later confirmed it was indeed suicide. That was what took her life. And I'm just saying these two student athletes I've just talked about, Quinn Ewers and Katie Meyer, are pictures on the spectrum of Generation Z that our generation just doesn't quite understand. Quinn Ewers is a picture of the high agency they have. Katie Meyer is a picture of the high anxiety they bring with them. It's almost unexplainable. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, what do you have to be? Don't you ever think this, Simon? What do you have to be anxious about? You're on top of the world. You're talented. You came from an upper middle class family. You got a car when you were 16. I'm just saying, I'm not saying. So here's what we don't understand the high agency we don't understand because we say, when I was your age, I was listening to my coach and respecting my coach and doing everything he told me. And I'm not asking questions. I mean, don't we say that? Sure. Um, today, a young team member, they hate the word pay your dues or the term pay your due. They hate, it's like a cuss word to them. And the reason they do is because they go, you know what? I got a phone. I've looked up everything I need to know. How many coaches do you talk to that go, I'm not their only coach. They go YouTube. They have this. They got a personal consultant. They got mom and dad. You know what I'm saying? So the high agency we don't quite understand because they just need to be humble and respectful. The high anxiety we don't understand because of what I just said. You guys are on top of the world. What do you have to be anxious about? And we don't understand that if they got a phone and they're on social media, there are 10,000 messages a day coming at them. It's overwhelming. The number one word that college students use to describe their life today is the word overwhelmed. 94% say I'm overwhelmed. 44% say, I'm so overwhelmed, it's difficult to function. That's scary. And nearly one in 10 has thought about suicide in the last year. Now, maybe they didn't pull out a weapon, but it crossed their mind. It might be easier to end it all. So we look at them and I say, we, I'm saying you, you all, all of us here on this call are older folk here. Can I just say that? Simon, I'm so sorry. I'm calling you older. Please forgive me. You're the young, you're the young whippersnapper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've gotten used to me and my (laughs) disrespectful comments. But um, I'm telling you, coaches that are listening, there are maybe over 40. We need to look back and say, all right, 
I've experienced fluid intelligence. I talk about that in the book. I'm now moving into crystallized intelligence where I need to be imparting wisdom, but listening to the intuition, imparting wisdom, but listening to the intuition. And I think it's a, it's a volley of conversation, not just tennis balls that we need to have on that court. Yeah. I mean, you, let me just pick up on one thing you said there. You talked about that Gen Z generation not wanting to hear about, well, back in my day, kind of the, so yeah. I work very hard not to say that, but there is, there is, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe it's the word apprenticeship. Maybe it's the word, yeah. you know, the, yeah. that, that saying you, you're in the, the learning phase before you're in the earning phase, yeah. all those yeah. one-liners yeah. that are out there. But it seems like you know, one of the, the stats I noted from the book was around 75% of Gen Z believe they should be promoted in their first year on the job. So yeah. one of the challenges in our industry is the pathway for, yeah. for, for promotion is quite limited in terms of you might be a staff professional or campus professional, entry-level professional, and then your next step is to become the head pro and then an assistant yeah, director yeah. and a director. So that could be, depending on your skill set, at least five years to a 10-year cycle before you're ready to be that leader. And the challenge then is how do you move somebody up? How do you reward them and promote them if your layers of, of growth are yeah. very limited? So yeah. The, the definition of a promotion and, and, and helping a teaching pro feel like they're progressing within a potentially limited system? Yeah, it's a great, great loaded question. Let me do my best to offer some, some insight. Um, I think we've, the first step we need to take is we need to have the conversation about this topic earlier rather than later. In other words, right up front say, hey, listen, Janet or Steve or whoever, I know you're talented and I want you to win here. So you, you build the ally conversation. I'm, I'm your ally. I want, I want you to move up as much as you want to move up. But can I share something with you? It's probably going to take longer than you think. It was for me. And then you tell a story about your own life, you know, and just say, we're going to move you as quick as we can, but please know it's going to take longer than you think. And then I would offer a metaphor. So we teach leadership with metaphors, uh, with images, actually. In fact, Kim, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but years ago, University of Florida, decided to have a customized version of our habitudes for their athletic department, the life skills program. So we have some of our habitudes that are Florida Gator, but one of the images is called crockpots or microwaves. Crockpots or microwaves. You you already know what I'm about to talk about, don't you? Crockpots and microwaves both cook food, but it's really different. Microwaves we love because, man, in 60 seconds, that thing is done, that hot dog's done in 60 seconds. But you eat it, and it's not really good. You know, I mean, it's hot, but it's just rubbery. And you put something in a crock pot, you got to wait for three or four hours. Mm-mm. Does it taste good? I'm saying your career, young tennis player, it's in a crock pot, not a microwave. So I know you like the 60 second thing, but it doesn't really turn out very well. It turns out really well if you give it time, stay in the game. You got to wait to be great. You got to wait to be great. Um, now, there's exceptions Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan. But I'm telling you, isn't it true? You got to wait to be great. Put in your time. Do the work. Do the work. So anyway, that would be, I would do the, the, have the conversation early and then that metaphor just to start a conversation. And then here's one more bit of good news. Later, you don't have to have the same conversation. You just yell out, crockpot or microwave. And they go, I know, I know, <laughs> you know, this is going to take longer than I thought. Anyway, no, I'll I, stop I there. like that. I'm going to jump in here because I think that's okay. a great, great analogy. I'm 
super proud of the Gators for jumping in on Tim Elmore early on. We yay for the Gators. But also, I would like to add that, you know, the idea, early conversations. I also got inspiration within your book about job diversity in the idea of using the skills that, that people bring from their generations. So yeah. I thought, can yes. you give them an idea of a promotion by giving them, taking them off court? Maybe they're only on court 75, 80% of their time, and they do something else they're good at, like manage the social media of the club. And that's an hourly paid job, but it's, it takes them off the court and it gives yes. them some leadership. It gives them um, responsibility. It gives them working off court, which is where we ultimately want to get them. And Simon's job, he doesn't spend much of any time on court and generally yeah. many directors don't. So yeah. it progresses you. It's a job diversity, I guess would be the way I would call it. I don't know. I got inspired when I read your book to think about that that way. Is that a good way to kind of create some interest in uh, a, a sort of promotion? Absolutely. I love the idea, Kim. It's finding other areas. They're going to have other strengths besides swinging a racket. So find those other areas. I actually think it's healthy. How many times have you seen, uh, at least I'll, I'll just speak for me, I've seen a number of NCAA Division I coaches that go, I want a two-sport athlete because they're mentally healthier. They've not been siloed and they burn out in middle school, you know? So maybe not all sports would say that, but um, a number of them would say, I think it's healthy to have a few diversions and then make tennis your number one, you know, baby. But um, so I love it, love it, love it. Help, help them find strengths and then play to those strengths so that when they get on the court, they're a healthier person after all. And they understand life and careers better, maybe. Tim, how do you feel about one of the, one of the things that, that I've spoken about recently at a couple of conferences is adding to that pathway. So instead of being stuck in that entry-level professional position before you become yeah. into a leadership position, you have some more levels so that they do see yes. within 18 months to two years, I am moving and you, you just redefine yes. the job pathway a little bit versus keep it what it's always been, which is generally fairly simple. Simon, I'm so glad you said that. I meant to say it. You beat me to it. You're brilliant. Yes, 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 yes. We need to look at the current system and say, because they value moving up faster, perhaps, than my generation, I need to create steps for them to move up. Now, it may not mean money, it may not be notoriety, but it's levels that they say, that was a, my leader noticed something, some growth in me, some progress in me, and then I get to play or work at a different level. So I think it's brilliant. At Growing Leaders, we did that. A few years ago, we added different layers and levels. And for us, we bumped the pay up a bit, you know, so we allowed them to be a little monetary reward. And then it was um, notoriety with team, team members. So I think we need to find out what they value. And I think that's one thing. And we need to say, I'm going to create some steps then that are not disingenuous. They're not, we didn't make them up. We're, we're actually going to help you move forward, but you'll have a feeling that you're moving forward rather than spend another year at last year's level and hope to God, maybe there's progress later. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You bet. So one of the goals of the podcast, as we've said a couple of times, is to, to train and develop future leaders or, or even and continue to grow our current leaders. And, and you mentioned that it's been said that managers treat everyone the same and leaders treat everybody yeah. differently. Uh, tell me about this idea in leadership and how that plays into the way leaders should treat people of different generations. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So one of our images, remember I, we teach with images, one of our metaphors or images is called chess and checkers. So both of those games, chess and checkers, have the very same game board. So we could be tempted to think, oh, must be the same game. You and I both know that's not true. 
When I play checkers, all my pieces look alike, they all move alike, so I treat them all alike. When I play chess, I have to know what each piece can do, the bishop and the rook and the pawn and the king and the knight and the queen. That's what I think our people are in front of us. They're chess pieces, not checkers. Mediocre leaders play checkers with their people. They treat them all alike and they get average performance. Great leaders uh, connect with others at the uniqueness of their personality, their strength, and their generation. Those are the three. Their personality, so everybody's got a different personality. Their strength, where are they strong? They're going to flourish where they're strong. And then are they 20 or 40 or 60? You know, that seems rather obvious. They're probably going to think a little differently. Um, I help them flourish when I lead them based on who they are, not who I am. So my pithy phrase is, I got to read them before I lead them. Uh, when I do that, I'm always a better leader and they're always a better team member. And yeah. what would be an example of an exercise? Would that be something you would do annually with your, with your staff or semi-annually? How would you go about actually implementing something like that? Okay. Yeah. So one way is I'll get, um, I'll get different generations, two people from different generations together. Certainly it could be reverse mentoring, which we talked about in our last uh, podcast. But um, I love the exercise, share your superpower with me or share one of your superpowers. Now, that's just a, a vogue word. We all think we got superpowers and we're all superheroes. But um, you know what? If I'm a baby boomer, one of my superpowers is I got a truckload of stories to share that might help you and inform your journey. I, I can be a coach. I can be a, and I don't mean literally, but I can coach you. I can mentor you. I can, I can impart. An exer brings pragmatism. They've got they got contrarian points of view and pragmatic points of view that they have. Uh, millennials often bring confidence and idealism. You know, I most, not all, but most bring an incredible sense of energy and confidence to a team. Gen Z brings a hacker mindset, not just about technology. I'm going to get behind the system, find out how it works and make it work for me. Well, that's good. That can be really good. Uh, remember Tony at the paint store in our last, you know, he found a way to monetize TikTok and started his own company. So I feel like if we do the share a superpower with me, we're both going to have some superpowers and we just start learning. And the learning then becomes organic. We don't program. We don't want to over-program this connection thing. I think good mentoring is somewhere between organized and organic. We need some structure, but not too much structure. It needs to feel like we're really getting to know each other in a very grassroots sort of way. And that's what I think works best. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate that. that that's, that's excellent, Tim. So the next challenge we have for you, for our industry, part of our industry or much of our industry works six days a week. I recently did a survey where about 200 pros respond and you know, we had 66% say they work six days a week and another 12% said they did seven days a week. So we have a, a five and a half to six day a week is the norm type situation. And yet I, I, you know, getting down to five days is, is a goal or a challenge. I know Simon's done that. <laughs> yeah. We did a podcast on Simon's work at the national campus to get us down, get his staff down to five. But you mentioned in some of your research that uh, some of the Gen Z team members would really prefer to work four. I suppose even if maybe you could describe what those four days are, long, long days or, yeah, yeah. you know, why is that? So tell us a bit more about, you know, where that desire is coming from. You know, what suggestion can you have for our industry? Um, you know, do we need to work to appease that group and get shorter work weeks? Yeah. Uh, to cut to the quick, I think the answer is in the middle, probably not four or seven, but somewhere in the middle. 
And it sounds like many of you guys are even thinking that way. So the idea actually started overseas in Europe and Asia, but it's made its way over to America. And Gen Z has quickly thought, awesome, <laughs> you know, four days, that sounds better than six. So many times when I hold focus groups and I ask, they say, oh, I'll still work 40 hours. It'll just be crammed into four days, you know, rather than five or six. Other times they say what you suspect. They, they just want to work less and have fun doing whatever they want to. So I, I feel as though if I were a veteran in your sport and I were a coach, I would say, we need to get this done. So let's work together to figure out a way to get this done. I care less about the hours and more about getting the job done. So I'm not so much interested in you clocking in as much as how do we get this done. Usually they come to some of the same conclusions I do. Oh, we probably need to work more in order to get that done. But you're taking a journey together. So this is what I call moving from prescriptive leadership to descriptive leadership. Here's the difference. When a kid grows up in America, I don't know, maybe Europe too, but for sure in America, adults have been very prescriptive in our leadership. We prescribe every step of the way they're to take. Um, Do this, do that, do this, do that. Teachers teach for the test. Parents prescribe to their children, don't forget your backpack, don't forget your gym shorts, don't forget grandma's birthday on Tuesday. So they're just leaning on mom. You know, mom's prescribing. Well, they get used to this. And by the time they reach college age and pro, they've got to learn how to own this. So descriptive leadership is the, is the need of the day. Descriptive leadership is where you sit down together and say, let's describe together a goal you want to reach. And they're not going to be used to this. They're going to, well, just tell me. No, no. You tell me, what goal do you want to reach? And you describe it together. You, you, you create a vision together because you're going to help you know, as a consultant of sorts. But when you get it, then you start saying, what steps do you think you're going to need to take to reach this goal? Well, they're probably going to realize, wow, that's probably going to take six days a week or five days a week, not four. Bingo. But they came to the conclusion, not you. So this is helping them practice metacognition. They're owning the decision. So can I tell you a quick, so I know I'm monopolizing this conversation, but there's a great professor in Alabama at a private university, but she's mastered this. She teaches science, she, biology, and she said the first week of class, hands are going up from her classroom. How many tests do we have? What about this? What about that? And she goes, every single one of the questions are answered in the syllabus. So, and you probably heard this before, haven't you? So she said, I stopped creating a syllabus. And the first three days of our class now every year, they create the syllabus. So she goes, all right, what do you want to learn in this class, Biology 101? Well, they start listing the subjects. She said, Tim, almost every year now, they list the very subjects, maybe except for one, that I wanted to teach them, but it was their idea. Then I asked the question, how many tests do you want to take? Well, the first year she did this, one knucklehead raised his hand and said, one, we just want one test. But all the other classmates got on him for saying, we don't want our grade to rise and fall with just one test. So they came up with four. And my friend, the professor said, that was exactly the number of tests I wanted to give them. But when I give them a test, I go, now you asked for four tests. You see how this ownership thing is brilliant? If we'll lead descriptively, and I'm probably oversimplifying because we just have a couple of minutes, but this is absolutely the way to lead Gen Z with descriptive leadership where we're not prescribing and we own the lesson We want them to own this education they're getting, this tennis lesson they're getting, this whatever they're getting. And then they own their life uh, later. Um, This is what every parent wants, but we got to stop controlling it and saying, this is yours, honey. You take it. That's awesome story. Very good example. I think you could apply that, can't you, Simon? 
Yeah, I think about what we do here from an on-court delivery point of view. It's getting away mm-hmm. from leadership a little, but it's, it, it takes us yeah. down the same pathway. Is we, yeah. we often talk about instead of having a prescribed hour-long lesson, yeah, approaching it from the you know, asking questions, getting yeah. feedback. And so I'm thinking if you, if you did this with a group of kids on a tennis court, what an impactful way to run a lesson is what, what do you think you need to work on and let's run in that direction. Yeah. It's the same concept yes. you're talking about from a leadership point of view, but yes. how powerful for the participant to have some yes. control over the destiny. Yeah, I love it. and the incentive goes up too. They're motivated and incentivized, yeah. So one of the, the last questions I wanted to get to here today was, was I, I think across our industry, large or small staff, there's, there's real age diversity and, and these, these generational gaps are, are clear and well represented. So I have someone in their 60s, I have many in their 20s on staff, and you, you talked about the, the superpowers idea of how to yeah. bring generations yeah. together. What mm-hmm. else could, would you suggest in terms of ways to bring them together that could, yeah. could enable this, this, this cross-functional collaborative effort? Yeah. Yeah, the bridge rather than the, the wall. The bridge right? rather than the wall, exactly. So um, I did some research that didn't make it into the first printing of this book that I want to share right now. So I asked representatives from each of the five generations that are at work today, what do you want most from other generations as they interact with you? Well, you can imagine I got a myriad of answers, you know, from the older folk and the younger folk, they all went, but there were three items that showed up in every single generation. And I thought, this is golden because if every generation wants this and we did this, this could be huge to connect with each other. So here are the three words. Number one was humility. Every single generation said, if you would come at me for an encounter with some humility, which basically screams, I know I have a lot to learn too. You know, I know I'm still on my journey too, and we don't have all the answers. That's just so winsome, isn't it? To to have humble, you know, old, I want old people to be humble, but I want young people to humble. So that's good. Number two, this is a predictable word, but it was respect. But here's what I find older generations do. They go, well, you got to earn my respect, Sonny, you know, or whatever. I think if we, the older generation said, I'm going to start with respect, not make you earn my respect, it tends to be reciprocated. I tend to get respect from that 20-year-old or 23-year-old because I've started with it myself. I believe the best. I begin with belief. I believe the best about her or him. And then it tends to be reciprocated. The third word I did not predict would come up, but it did. Curiosity. So if I approach everybody with a sense of curiosity, ooh, I bet you have something to share with me. I bet you could add value. And I want to add value to you. Just imagine for a minute, Simon and Kim, if every one of us interacted with all generations with humility, respect, and curiosity. Oh my gosh. What kind of world could we create? Starting with a tennis court, starting with a school. But, and those are soft skills, not hard skills. Doesn't require higher IQ, doesn't require more talent, doesn't require, you know, better looks. Thank God for me. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, this is magic. And it all goes back to basic life skills that we got to reinstill in our people. Yeah, it's a great answer. Thank you. That's good. Yeah, that's that's really good. And you know, another thing I, I, I think that, you know, to say that they need to respect each other, they need to have humility for each other, curiosity for each other. I found it interesting. I think when you woke me up to say, we, th- this is a self inflicted situation. Yeah. I yeah. am 22. 
I make assumptions about my place in yeah. the work in you know my place in the workplace, I, my wisdom as compared to the guy who's fifty, or my we do it and make assumptions um, about ourselves, yeah. not just assumptions about others. Which I guess I think people need to wake up and how much are they yeah. really doing this? You know, harming themselves yeah. the way they look yes. at themselves versus yeah. uh, if that's making sense. No, totally. I think you're spot on. And I, I keep going back to, we have stereotypes about everybody, including ourselves, that aren't necessarily accurate, and it gets us in trouble. So we got to chuck the stereotypes. In fact, my goal for this book is, my goal is not to stereotype, but to understand. That's what we got to do. Well, and I think you said when we were off air, and it was just the first thing that you said is no more them. Yes. No more us, us and them, just us. Yeah. No more us I and love them. that phrase. I'm in love with that phrase. No more us and them, just us. So that means the water cooler conversations in the clubhouse or whatever, where we're talking about those millennials or those Gen Zers, we go, no, 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 no. Let's stop that. Let's, let's be family. We have uncles and grandparents and nephews and nieces. Let's love each other. Let's be a family and let's get this job done. Um, I know I sound like a coach right now, but that's what we got to do. We've got to do this. So. so would you say that's the summary takeaway or is there yeah. another one that you'd say? I mean, when you just kind of boil us down to what we want to yeah. make sure we take with us into our jobs, into our workplaces, what, what, would, it, what would those, you know, be? Yeah, that it'd, it? be two, it'd be two things. That, no more us and them, just us. And also, I'm going to be able to leverage the strength that each generation has to the benefit of the organization or the team. So I'm even thinking of an under, you know, a team, a, an NCAA Division One team. Well, those freshmen are a little different than the seniors. How can we leverage that rookie smarts they bring, you know, or whatever? So that's what it is. The book is, in fact, the subtitle of the book is how to make the, you know, the different generations on your team a competitive advantage. I think we need to do that. So those are the two big takeaways. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. Because as I'm trying to, you know, educate leaders in the future, you know, we want to kind of get to those action items, those takeaways, those. What can we really apply right away? I think there have been a lot of a lot of good stories. Simon, do you have any more final thoughts? I think we just touched the surface of, of what you could do with this. This could be a, a multi-day uh, conference, but I, I think there's been some fantastic takeaways and insight, and, and I love the way you've uh, presented this material and, 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 and the way you spoke about it today so passionately. So thanks for your time. It's my pleasure. Great to hang out with you guys. Yeah, it's been a great, great discussion. We thank you so much for your guidance, your expertise to the rackets industry. Help us manage with intentionality. As you yeah, say, many businesses yeah. just don't get intentional yeah. about this. So I encourage all listeners, pick up the book, A New Kind of Diversity by Dr. Tim Elmore, or many of the other books he mentioned, Habitudes, which is another series that he has that's super uh, helpful. And then please provide you know, comments on our webpage for Racket Fuel. Get in touch with us all on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear your feedback, thoughts, comments, and what you'd like to discuss on future episodes of Racket Fuel. We'll see you next time. That's all for today, but we're not out of fuel. You can find more information and resources in our show notes and by visiting racketfuelpodcast.com. If you liked what you just heard, please subscribe and also leave a review, which helps other people join the mission to become stronger Rackets leaders. This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. 
Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management. Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.